0: We recently asked a couple hundred of you emerging biotech leaders about your go to sources of information when you face tough professional challenges. Your top response wasn't webinars. It wasn't scientific journals. It wasn't trade shows. It wasn't even consultants. Far and away, you said you most often turn to your peers for trusted insight. Enabling a community of peers is what the Business of Biotech podcast is all about. It's also what our new Business of Biotech newsletter is all about peer driven content, no strings attached delivered to your inbox once a month. Go to bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B to subscribe. The business of biotech is produced by Bioprocess Online, part of the Life Science Connect community, with support from Cytiva. Cytiva also demonstrates its commitment to the leaders of new and emerging biopharma at citiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. One of the most challenging aspects of running a biopharmaceutical business is managing research and development. It's a high-stakes game from which wins and losses spring forth, requiring a constant balancing act between immediate scientific curiosity and longer-term business driving efficiency. I'm Matt Piller. This is the Business of Biotech. Establishing an R&D function is exactly the topic of today's conversation, and I couldn't have found a better guest to help me suss it out. Dr. Robert Stoffel is VP of Research at Horizon Therapeutics, where in 2021, he was hired explicitly to develop the company's R&D strategy. With 25 years of scientific leadership experience at AbbVie and bristol myers Squibb to his credit, Dr. Stoffel was a solid choice for the job. And in just a couple of short years at Horizon, he's made good on the promise. I'm feeling fortunate and honored that Dr. Stoffel has agreed to spend some time with us. Dr. Stoffel, welcome to the show. Thanks, uh, Matt. It's nice to meet you, and it's nice to be here. It's super nice uh, to, to have the time with you. And before we even get started, I understand that you earned your PhD in chemistry at, at Penn State.
1: I, I I do. I did do that. Um, and, you know, I kind of kid the chemists that I work with uh, all the time about that, because it really was more uh, biology-based than yeah. um, and more like protein enzymology than it was chemistry. Although, I had to get through all of those chemistry classes and uh, and and learning. So it was, I truly do have a chemistry degree, but it's really more biological sciences that uh, that I studied at that point.
0: Yeah, and you were you down at University Park? Uh, yeah. Wow. So, um,
1: yep in the middle of middle of the state there, it was uh, it, it was really really a great experience.
0: Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I, I asked because, uh, selfishly, my son is heading there as an undergrad uh, for his freshman year in less than a month now. He's been accepted. Oh, to their fantastic. Pre, yeah, pre-engineering program down there. So it's a few hours from where I live, but he'll be going down there. So I, I wanted to offer a hearty we are to you now that we're yeah
1: Yeah, Penn State,
0: absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's what cool. it is. So I want to start the conversation uh, just getting some flavor for what it's like to... Uh, be on the early stage research team or lead the early stage research team at a relatively large uh, biopharma company. Um, you know, I, I get the sense, I guess, from the outside looking in, looking in, I just sort of envision that as sort of like being uh, being in a constant startup environment.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty. Pretty accurate way to think about that. Um, you know, Horizon's so unique in that um, there's excellence on the commercial execution side. They built the clinical side so that they are really driving to get answers for the therapies that we are testing, uh, but didn't really have a lot on the discovery side. So, building in that research as well as that research connection to the later stage portfolio. So that's been um, that's been really kind of fun to to come in there and to and to generate what what that might look like. So even though it is biotechy like, there's a there's a maturity there in the pipeline that um, that that really helps in terms of that uh, the drive of how we how we do things and the way we think about things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you came in with with this task, a very clear task to develop this R and D function uh, that that I understand didn't didn't exist prior to your arrival. So I I want to kind of walk through the stages, I guess, of that. Uh, you know, the the creation of that department and its evolution since you've joined it. So t- give me some flavor on where the strategy begins. What like what two part question? Like, what did you have to work with coming in? Yeah. Right, like. Yeah. It's all, you know, it's always, it's got to be a little bit daunting coming in and starting a new, a new department and a new initiative in in an established company. So what did you have to work with coming in? And then where did the strategy begin knowing what you had to work with?
1: Yeah. So I I would, you know, before I came on board, there was research areas in fibrosis. So that's really the thyroid eye disease. Um, And then also within gout. And that's, that's our, uh, you know, our our program that we have there with Crisexa. And um there was about four people or so back in 19 uh, 2019, 2020, mm-hmm. really driving a lot of that. Um, then there was the the way that um, Horizon uh, looked at stuff was really to try to build out that mid-stage pipeline. So they they acquired VLA Biosciences. so that was a spin-off from metamune. And that the research part of the research group came in from that, uh, from that that group, and they're the ones that are responsible for DAX and DAS and Aplizna in the, in the pipeline. So that group through Metamune and Viella, you know, made that science happen to push those forward. So they were part of the group so that the group at that point moved up to about 15 to 17 in size. And that's about the time that, that I joined. And at that point we were working on, okay, where do we want to operate? How do we want to grow and what, you know, how do we want to do that? So we worked with uh, McKenzie and other groups there to try to figure out, okay, how do we wanna do this? Because it, you know, the company was very very interested in moving forward in that direction, sort of building up a, a significant research group. So how do you do that? Do you keep acquiring um, or do you actually more piecemeal and more specifically put in the things that you need? So I think this gets to the point that um, that you were asking about before on the biotech side. So we do a lot of outsourcing. So that still is a big component of what we do, but we've also built a lot of expertise in these areas. So we have expertise in autoimmunity, we have expertise in gout, we have expertise in fibrosis. And those that's the main core of the things that uh, that we go after. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um you you mentioned that the strategy is sort of guided by your 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 uh your portfolio. Uh is that, is that like, uh, is that, is that the case you're sort of like working within the, not the confines, but sort of the direction that, that horizon has been headed or, or does your group, uh, spend any, any time or resource kind of exploring new, completely new, uh, therapeutic areas?
1: So there are, um, I, I if you think about those, um, you know, as like uh, in terms of areas where you can go into and thinking about that more like an event diagram type of thing they' mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're- close to each other and and attached and then you have to build the data that then supports moving forward right so you don't you don't work in a in a vacuum within an organization you're constantly talking and horizon is the size where you you talk all the time so we have uh you know direct connection with the executive committee and we talk about the things that we're working on all the time and the things that are of interest and you you know you build your data set and you build um the story that helps to compel the investment
0: yeah. You mentioned that uh you know the the m- maybe the nucleus or the the uh the the input the catalyst I'd say of of the R&D department kind of came with a, an acquisition perhaps or f- at least that fed into it prior to your yeah. arrival. Uh so some people came with that and some IP came with that I'm sure. Um and then you know you you added to that as you went what what else did you have to do in terms of sort of the the infrastructure or the guardrails around the department um you know policies and procedures even like what went into kind of creating the operating uh environment that you work in today
1: yeah it's uh you know i i think it, you have to take a step back first and say okay what do you want the culture to be mm-hmm. and for me, you know, as a scientist, the things that I always operated under were, um, and you had mentioned this word before, curiosity. I think that's really one of the key drivers that you want to have in the people that, uh, that you have within the organization. Then the next one would really be determination and or potentially grit as a way to think about that, because the things we do are so difficult to get done, and you have to have the determination to keep moving things forward and to push that rock up the hill, the boulder or up the hill. And then finally, the the most important thing, and this is where I think the management piece comes in, is really you want to be able to operate with no fear, right? You want to be able to do the things that you think are important to get things done. And that's one of the things I feel at Horizon, you know, really drives a lot of that. And certainly the thing that I want to propagate within within our group is no, no sense of fear, really, where you can have that curiosity and that determination, and you can do the things that you need to do. So you think about that culturally that's the piece for me that really starts off, where you create that environment. And I can tell you, like the group that we have here and then we have individuals that are at um, our Deerfield location and then also in South San Francisco, it's a very happy group. It's interconnected and really everyone is is trying to work with one another. And that, for me is the biggest thing. So as we grow and we push the numbers up in terms of the group, making sure that we keep that cohesiveness, And the ability to create that environment where there's that curiosity, determination and um, and no fear in each and every scientist. Dr. Stoffel, how many people are on your research team now? Yeah, the end of the year will be at thirty five. So we've grown quite a bit and, you know, we still are growing at like about a 15 percent clip or so each year.
0: Yeah. Uh, as, as a baseline sort of starting, uh, I guess, not, not requirement, but uh, target, like w- what are you looking for in terms of who you bring on to the team? Like perhaps let, let's take, uh, you know, what we would call a class A, like someone coming right out of school with a specific degree, specific st- area of, of focus or expertise or study. Um, can you give any give any sort of insight into into what you're looking for?
1: Yeah, I think so. At first, it was really much more uh, maturity than that. And and I should say uh, maturity, more experience than that. Mm. So okay. people that had the drug discovery experience, the knowledge to move things forward. So that was, I think, the first round that we really went through in terms of thinking about people. Now we're actually at a point where we have that maturity level, and we're going we're going into lower experience for them for people to come in potentially at, right out of school, out of postdocs, to really kind of build up that uh, that next generation of researchers, essentially.
0: Mhm. Are there any specific degrees that that you look for that are, are well suited to to R&D? We have are uh, areas of study, I should say.
1: Yeah, I think that the the majority is really within the inflammation space. So inflammation oncology um and really looking at those two those two interfaces. So, I mean, we don't work in oncology space, but the um the inflammatory role within oncology, those are things that uh, that we look at.
0: Yeah, very good. Um Anytime a, a company establishes a new uh, division or or a new you know a new a new charter brings in a new team, um, I'm not going to say there's opposition, but I'm sure that you know there, there's skepticism. There's some like head scratching or even just unknown kind of like how how are these people going to fit in and affect my my day today? So tell me a little bit about that. Like how did you um, did you have to and if so, how did you go about creating support beyond your own department. Yeah, that um,
1: it so I can state right from the beginning that that's custom. I mean, it's pretty much built in because it started with uh, with our CEO, Tim uh, Walbert in terms of saying, we, you know, we we want to have this functionality. Mm -hmm. So then it was really more about building the um, the connections and the bridges within um, the different uh, functions within the horizon and really trying to connect and then to show the value of the team. And it really starts with um, not only the pipeline build that we're doing right now, but then also that connection within the organization. Um, and one of the one of the biggest things for us is that you know when you think about um, where we are as a, as a group, we, we can we're doing things internally. It's like driving our own projects forward. But there's also a lot of external innovation that has to happen to to build that pipeline up and to keep it going. So we work very closely with our business development groups within Horizon. And I would say, you know, the group, um, you know, at our peak was probably about 50 percent of the job of each individual was really looking at different opportunities. So they would be, there would be scouting and things like that that would be happening outside of our group, and then we would be the ones that would judge essentially the science and the merits of those of those projects. But it was really, it was a really nice uh, connectivity within the organization that we had there.
0: Yeah, very good. Uh, What's been the the hardest since you joined a couple of years ago? Like, what's been the most difficult or challenging aspect of your of your job?
1: You know, I I think the biggest thing is is really about making sure that the facilities, all of those things that you take for granted in a big pharma, like all the infrastructure is already in place. Here it's it was not in place. We had to build it and we had to learn as we went through that. So, oh, okay, that's really not working well for us. And then as you get bigger as a group, you become more dependent on things like ordering becomes a bigger problem all of those things so you have to really think about how you're going to address those concerns as uh, as you move forward and get bigger as a group yeah
0: can you can you share uh, elaborate at all on like what that infrastructure build out entailed i mean obviously i don't want you to share any any secret sauce or industry secrets but uh w- w- you know what what did what did sort of that uh, initial build out of the r and i guess equipment function look like
1: yeah, so uh, it started with um, initial lab space that we got, um, mm-hmm. which is in Rockville. Um, and prior to that, the group um, that I mentioned before from Viela was embedded in AstraZeneca, so at the AstraZeneca site. So they had everything there at their fingertips, right? Because AstraZeneca is a big, big company and they could get to everything. So then we had to, we had to ensure that we had the right infrastructure to move forward. And some things we got right and other things we didn't really. So we had to really kind of adjust as we as we went along. And then the other thing that um, that is very important is making sure that we have enough lab space. So currently, right now, we're a little bit tight. So we're expanding into space here. So there's lots of work ongoing, in terms of the learnings that we have now, applying to the
0: new space that we're building out, as well as the new building that will come online in a few years. Yeah. you you mentioned that the the r&d function uh sort of began with the acquisition of vielo uh beyond acquisition what did r what did the r&d function at horizon look like prior to the creation of this department like was there what you know was it sort of a an ad hoc kind of thing happening uh among different teams of scientists working on different products like what did it look like
1: yeah, there were. Well, as I mentioned before, there were just a couple of individuals and they were actually essentially the project leads for whatever, whatever the project was that they were working on. Right. And they would do and they did not do any um wet bench work at all. It was all outsourced. So they were essentially the masters of, of CROs and driving things like that. And to a large extent, that's a lot of still what we do. Although we do, we have a couple of partners with Alpine and Hemoshear that actually really helped to drive some of our portfolio forward. So in essence, we're still doing a very similar type of job where we have wet bench work that happens. So we have cell biology that we do, but then as we start to move in vivo, all of that work becomes outsourced.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you like wh- about the transition from. You know, welcome to the team, Doctor Stuffle. You know, here's your task: build out our R&D function, strategize. There, there's a trend. You know, I guess if you're thinking about it in very clean terms and chronologically, there's this transition from that to okay, we're a fully functioning R&D department. I know it's never that clean. Like there was some to, to your point you just made, there was some R&D function happening there uh, already. Um, but but tell us a little bit about like that transition from like coming on board uh working out a strategy and then you know at what point you felt like we're really you know we we've got a a functioning you know uh capable team of r&d uh professionals working towards a common goal
1: yeah i would say that that happened pretty quickly cuz we were we were at 15 or so and then we moved up to in 2022, I think we went to 25. So we had a we had a pretty good group at that point. Um, and we had some projects ongoing that were, that were moving forward. And really, you think about this in, in research, you think about moving the needle. So from like an exploratory project to a lead up project to then uh something that would then transition to IND enabling studies. And we were moving that needle over the, over the year and a half. So that really, um, I think for me, those are the milestones that we were seeing. And I'm like, okay, wow, we're, we're, we're able to do this. We're functioning and we're, and we're going, I don't, I don't think I've ever really switched out of that. Yeah. I mean the strategy is still there, but the tactics that we're doing to try to get there and some of the tweaking is still, is still part of what we do.
0: Yeah. I I probably never ends. Right. no, so as uh, Dr. Suffolk, as uh, the the research function has matured at Horizon uh, over the course of your, your tenure there, how has your role changed? Take us sort of through the, the evolution of your role from when you were brought on to what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it's really changed that much. Um, it's still very much the same where we are looking at... Um, Focused on the on the on the people that are here, the pipeline, and then how we are growing as an organization. So it's still very much the same. It's still very much alive in the in the same way. So I don't know that it's really changed. The thing that's that's exciting about that is that we've been able to deliver on the things that we promised we would deliver on. So that's the thing that's that's been very very um, nice over the past year or so to really see projects transitioning to different milestones.
0: Hmm. Do you uh, do you personally still spend any time in the lab? You know, rolling up your sleeves and and getting into research. So um, that would be kind of a scary thing if I went in there.
1: And, and I could do it. <laughs> I, I probably could do it, but it would take me. Like normally, it would take a scientist in the lab like five minutes to make a buffer. I'd probably be in there for two hours trying to find everything and put it together. It just wouldn't be. It wouldn't be good.
0: Yeah what's uh, what is directing and informing the projects that your team is is spending its time on on now? It, it's still back to that initial strategy.
1: so the areas of focus that uh, that we care about. So those are the things that um, that drive our, our decision making. At the same time, there are um, you know one of the things that we haven't talked about this yet, so we have we have really significant collaborations within within the company so we have external um um innovation i mentioned that before but then we also have really nice connectivities with medical affairs with the asset teams and the clinical side of things so we really have excellent connections there so we're learning about things all the time and and some of the you know, some of the areas where we have um, really the best connectivity are on some of the marketed drugs that we have. And really where we're working with KOLs and we're trying to understand that those biologies and those processes even more to lead to the next uh, level of uh, next generation of targets that we can bring forward. The other component there that um, that is really strong for us is the academic collaborations. We have. You know, significant amount of academic collaborators that we work with, really helping us to understand disease biology as well as mechanistic notes that we're that we're interested in. So having all of that together really helps us to drive the portfolio and think about where we go next.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That leads me to a question about those academic partnerships. Are, are those largely driven by the research function at Horizon? Like, uh, are are you like? sort of constantly scanning for opportunities to partner with academia fit, you know, good, good fits. Are they coming to you? And and is that sort of fall under your auspices?
1: Yeah, we, we drive a lot of that, but then there's also like, if you think about some of the asset teams, there could be questions that could come up um, that we could answer through an academic collaboration. So those are things also that, uh, that we do. So you think about like our, um, our B cell, uh projects that we that we do there. Um we have multiple collaborations that we're working on to try to understand mechanistically how the B cell is playing a role, which can then inform against different disease states that you would go into.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let tell tell us a little bit more about that. Like what have you learned along the along the journey regarding uh you know sort of in the context of your focus on on B cell biology.
1: Yeah, so we um, we have a therapy there that's uh, in NMOSD, um, is really fantastic. So it is a, a B-cell depleter. So it's CD19-based um, and depletes uh, a significant uh, proportion of the different B-cells. And one of the things that we've learned through testing um, both preclinically and then in humans is that that level of B cell depletion really leads to this this fantastic efficacy that that you see in in these disease states. So the thing that we're trying to understand more about is like what are the specific B cell lineages and or um, effector functions that that are there that that we're impacting as well as the plasma blast and the antibodies. So we really, we really are very excited about that. It's an area of, of keen interest for us as we, as we move forward in the next couple of years. And I can tell you there's a lot of interest externally as well too because there's other B-cell depleting modalities that are,
0: that are playing out potentially in the immune space. We know that early stage biopharmas need support. Producing and scaling a biologic molecule is not easy. Companies with new or evolving programs need assistance every step of the way. Join us each week as we discuss all things Emerging Biotech, including regulatory, financing, and more. The Pod is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva, a global provider of technologies and services that advance and accelerate the development, manufacture, and delivery of therapeutics, from idea to injection. Check out their resources at citiva.com backslash Emerging Biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot backslash Emerging Biotech. One of the things that that emer, new and emerging biotechs struggle with is, uh, you know, I, I guess drawing a direct line or trying to maintain a direct line between research and 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 business efficiency, right? Like product efficiency, development efficiency. Um, what, what have you found are sort of some of the keys to research efficiency from a science standpoint? You know making sure that the work that you're doing in the research function is going to carry on to an efficient business proposition further down the line. Yeah, I think so the you know the main
1: the main key there is really understanding okay where where could this mechanism play out. So what are the disease states? And there you have to make sure you have the connectivity within the organization to say that yeah, this is an opportunity that we want to we want to go after. And then I think the other piece of that is really trying to understand like mechanistically how it would work in a disease state. And if you look at our portfolio of marketed drug drugs, they have fantastic efficacy in gout, thyroid eye disease. And we just mentioned about the B cell and NMOSD. They're really phenomenal. So there's no, there's no question about the efficacy that they have there. And that's really what we're trying to strive for is to get to that. I think the other component there too, um, that that is a little bit More difficult to get to. And this is also part of the work that we try to do. And I'll just call this in general, like more spatial biology. So, really trying to understand mechanistically what's driving different populations of disease patients. And this is, I think, an area that we're going into, and that this is a lot different than when I started in terms of thinking about disease states and potentially different populations within a disease state that might respond differently to one therapeutic versus another therapeutic.
0: Yeah, that's interesting too. You um, yeah, one of the you know, one, I think one of the the common refrains around efficiency and in, in the in the research and development of molecules is to attack as many or approach, I guess, as many indications as possible with with your molecular entities, right? Um, is that is that a, a, a an initiative at Horizon? Is that sort of something that you guys pursue, and and why is that good for the goal of moving moving into clinic and and uh, eventually patients so i think if you think about that in
1: general you you have If you have multiple disease states that you think that mechanistically are appropriate for your therapeutic, you have have many more shots to to make it happen. And some disease patients are a little bit easier to get to than others. So you might even think about, okay, we'll test it here first because we can get the answer that we want saying that mechanistically it's working the way that it should. And then think about going into into a different indication. So I think that um Horizon has multiple approaches where there is, I would say, more platform opportunity like that, but then also where we are um more singular in things. So, like we have the IGF mechanism that is playing out completely incredibly well in thyroid eye disease. In gout, it's really one mechanistic node that's there, right? It's uric acid levels. And we have um we have Cristexa, but then we also have um other programs that we're working on earlier on in the pipeline where we're trying to manipulate uric acid as well. So if you think about it um, uh, like that, you can think that there's nodes within the disease that are very important and you want to go after those. And then how can you manipulate those nodes? Or you can think about like what we have with, our PDC mechanism, the C D40 mechanism, and also say like the B cell mechanism, where it could go into multiple disease areas because that mechanism is potentially playing out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh you've alluded a few times to d- different departments that you interact with. Um, you know, and even even mentioned that sort of the uh, the, the the research function was embraced and championed from the, the top down. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I'm I'm hoping you can sort of lay out uh like for for someone who is not familiar with the interaction of, of research with other departments in a in a biopharma company, what, what are the sort of some of the fundamental, I guess, other departments with which you interact and why?
1: Yeah. So um there are multiple areas that uh, that we look at and work through. So if you start more on the business side of things, there's that external innovation. And then there's also really that um, what's the, oper- the market opportunity? All those things are are part of every pharma and even every biotech. So we interact very, very well with those um those groups and really are making sure that we're aligned completely with those, with that and, and the direction that we need to go into. But then beyond that, then you have the other R&D functions. So you have the clinical side of things. And then we also have another group called translational sciences, where you think about, okay, we've got this idea that we want to have. We want to we move it through preclinical testing, but then we want to move into humans and figure out okay, how do we how do we test that? So what's the appropriate disease state to go into, and then we think about have we covered the target, and then are we getting the signal on the biomarker side that support moving into efficacy studies, and or having efficacy um, coupled with that in parallel. So that's the I think that's the you know the heart of of, what, of the groups that we really try to work with to try to move things forward.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I always envision the the research uh, department as sort of, a, you know, skunk works operation in the in the lab. Right. Like with limited interaction with other people uh, within the organization. But obviously, the, some of those uh, some of those interactions you just pointed out are are, are very key, not yeah. just not just to advance of the science, but advance of of the of the business. Right. Like making sure that yeah. the, the work that's going on early stages is, is pointing in the right direction.
1: Yeah, within the within the research group as well, too, you really have the, the mechanistic knowledge of the therapeutic. So we have um expertise on the B cell side, the uh, myeloid T cells, and and those are um the people that actually go out and they and they work with um with um academic collaborators to talk about mechanisms like KOLs and all of those types of things. So we kind of work hand in hand with, uh, with those with our clinical groups to really try to talk through, okay, mechanistically, this is how we think this is operating. And, or mm-hmm. if we have questions to, you know, to, to probe against that as well.
0: Yeah. What's the, uh, I don't, I don't know if this, this might be an impossible question to answer because I'm sure it changes pretty, pretty drastically depending on what you're working on and what, at, and at what stage, but, What's sort of the, the cadence of of inbound inquisition that your department is subject to, right? Like how how many questions are you answering or, or attempting to answer at any given time? So what what do you mean by questions? Well, I'm talking about like, you know, you just we we just talked for a minute about interdisciplinary, interdepartmental uh communication. Um, all of these departments, I'm sure, are inquisitive about what's going on in research where you are with x y or z possibly possibly directing you know a fair amount of the research that that you're doing so i'm just wondering like what that environment's like in terms of the 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 cadence and volume of of inbound inquisition that that your department is subject to
1: i you know that that just kind of comes with the territory that's that's part of what uh what my job is is to make sure that the organization understands and knows what's happening within the research group you know it's not uh it's not behind a veil and they understand okay here's the things we're trying to answer and then here's the different groups that we're interacting with so um we we do this quite often where we have discussions about what's going on within the research portfolio and then we do updates i would say probably on a monthly basis or so mm-hmm. of, of what things are
0: yeah. And those are like company wide updates or for specific dates?
1: and they go out. Yeah, they can go out in written form, or there's presentations that happen. And then um, if there's more explicit questions, we answer those as well.
0: Yeah. On the flip side of that question, how much of the work that the research function is doing at Horizon is generated from more from within the research department itself, the research group itself?
1: So I would say we have um ideas are probably on the 50-50 side. So things, ideas that we generated that are moving forward versus external opportunities that, that have come in. But it also, um, even those external opportunities were things that were identified internally saying, Hey, yeah, we
0: want to, we want to go after this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. You, um, when you came to horizon, as, as I mentioned, from the outset, you had, uh, quite a few years of experience. You're like, you're like one of, it seems like everyone I talked to from AbbVie stays at AbbVie for a long time. You're at AbbVie for what, 17 years? 18 years. Yeah. 18 years. Yeah. 18 yeah. years at AbbVie, I think another seven ish or something uh, at BMS. Mm-hmm. Um, t- tell me a little bit about how those positions, the positions you held in those organizations have in- informed what you're doing at, you know, in, in your current uh, research capacity.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, early on for me in in when I went to BMS, so that was back in the days where uh, the first I would I'll call it the first genomic revolution came. Right. So that was the human genome project. and It was like, we're going to have targets. We're going to be able to cure diseases. It's going to be great. So part of that infrastructure built at that point was really getting to high throughput screening and technology to try to support all that target ID that was coming and things like that. So I was involved in that I was uh, I was in a in a high throughput screening group and really at that point, um, merging technology with biology and really learned a tremendous about about how to how compounds behave, how they manipulate, and then how we can um, we can use that to understand the pharmacology in a, in an enzyme assay or in a, in a cell. But one of the things that that happened to me when I was there during um during the support of that was that I, I was working on this on this project. It was a, a metabolic disease project. And um it was actually reg- the regulation of uh, parathyroid hormone. And there's this receptor called the calcium sense receptor. And it actually um can sense it's so calcium in the body in the blood is 1.2, I always say gigawatts, but it's 1.2 uh millimolar. And 10% in either direction changes the amount of PTH that's secreted, which then regulates how much calcium comes out of the bone. So one of the things that was interesting to me as we were working on that was really getting to understand that biology even more and how it worked. So the way that it worked, we, did, we were figuring out was that it actually sensed the calcium. And when it was at the right level, it would actually oscillate at a certain pace. So calcium inside the cell would then oscillate. And you could mm-hmm. see that fluorescently. So that was really very cool. And then as it went up or down, you either stopped, the oscillation stopped, or it went more rapidly. And this and the cell sensed that and then responded to it. So when I when I started to understand that more, I'm like, I feel like I'm pointing in the wrong direction. I'm pointing towards this technology piece and high-throughput screening. But I think it's really this understanding of the biology that is really what interests me more. And I think where the true bottleneck is to move forward. So then that's when I went uh, looking around for a different position within a therapeutic area and landed at Abvi in immunology. And it, it turned out that uh, Sandra Arufo, who was the site head at the metabolic group that I was at, at, at that point it was Hope, on the Jersey, he transitioned up to AbbVie to lead uh, the research group there, site head at the Worcester site where I was at, and then eventually became the the head of, of RD. R and D. And he actually had overlap with uh, Tim Walbert, which is uh, also interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so a, a trained Abbott uh, guy as well. Yeah. So um, so. Uh, at that, in there, it was very exciting to me because there I got to really understand the biology and then how it related to the disease state. And that, that has been, like for me, you know, the thing that has driven me. So even though I've been uh, like project lead for projects that have moved into the clinic, it was always that connectivity to the science, to the disease state, and to the patient that really, you know, drove everything in the way that I think about things.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you attribute that more to a love of of science itself, or the understanding that fundamental biology problems, uh, the solution to fundamental biology problems, is is sort of the 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 spring from which everything everything else comes forth?
1: I think it. Uh, so for me, it, it it's both of those things, right? So it is. That, that love of science, and then also that detective work to try to interconnect what is happening within the disease state and the patient to try to come up with therapies. So it, it's really, for me, it's, it's both, and they, and they go hand in hand.
0: Dr. Soffo, what, what haven't I asked you about uh, our, the, the, the research function at Horizon and, and your role there that I should have that would have made me a better a better reporter? A better interviewer.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I I don't know that there was anything that you that you missed there. Um, you know, it's really for, for me it was um, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to come into into this group, and you know, it really starts right from the very top with our CEO Tim. That um, you know, he's he's a patient himself. He says that all the time in public and he really cares about the patient experience, and that drives so much of what we do at Horizon. And it it comes down to the other piece that I didn't know exactly about before I got here was how much the focus the company has on, on people in the company as well. So there's the patients, and then there's the employees. And it, it creates this incredible environment that um, really leads to this drive and energy all the way from the top, all the way down the company, and we really feel that. So it was a so it was a very unique opportunity to come in and to build out this research function that would then match what was happening on the clinical side, so the rest of R and D, and then also on the on the on the marketing side, the clinical and reaching the patients. Mm-hmm so that that it's been a it's been a very you know an amazing experience being able to do that and to and to match that and i can say that we've we we set out to try to get to a level where we would be putting two molecules per year into ind enabling studies and we're really getting to that level so it's a you know it's it's been really really amazing
0: yeah speaking of those those molecules you you talked a bit about uh, b cell biology but can you share anything about uh, what uh, current our current research work is going on at, at Horizon. So, if you if you look at the the pipeline right now, you actually have uh, you know
1: quite a few interesting modalities that we're testing. And, and by the way, too, this was also one of the things that really intrigued me about Horizon was that um, they they take things into the clinic and they test them, and that it doesn't happen all the time at big pharma. So it's a little bit more difficult to do that. But if you look at our mid-stage pipeline, you will see multiple indications, multiple disease states being tested out across the different therapies. And that is, it's a little bit on the unique side. And one of the things that really excites me about Horizon, knowing that what we produce Will get tested in people. So that's uh, you know, that's a that's a very, a very cool thing. Uh, but then if you look at that mid-stage pipeline and and the research that went into that. So we talked about the the B cell biology piece and you know how interesting that is. With it, there's also then on the autoimmunity side, we have uh research that that has happened that has led to um a DAX and P, um, PDC depletion. We also have 1116, which is PDC and um, and uh, and uh, dendritic cells. Those are really kind of cool mechanisms where you're you're. We think that they're driving a lot of the disease. Um, biology. So the, you think of them as kind of sitting in the tissue and orchestrating all around them. And by removing them, we think we're going to have a pretty significant impact on the disease state, not only on the interferon part of that, but then also the other extracurricular activity that those that those cells bring to the table. Yeah. And then we also have um, within that pipeline that the CD40, CD40 ligand mechanism. So uh, That is really a pretty, pretty fantastic thing that we see. And we actually have some very positive data that's come out in Chokrin's. I'm sure that you've probably seen that uh, both in this patient one population, which um, some other therapies come out and shown a little bit of activity there, but then really in this patient two population, which has pretty significant impact on pain, dryness and fatigue, and we've had a really big impact there. And that goes all the way back to the research focusing on the ligand side of that, that arm, CD40 ligand versus CD40, and really driving greater greater efficacy in that mechanism. So we're very excited about that. Um, and then into the earlier part of things, we're doing gout research research. I actually don't remember how much of this is public, so I'll be very careful here with none uh, of the things that, that we're working on. But we have a, a collaboration with Hemoshia where we're working on new gout targets. We actually have pretty um significantly built out our fibrosis area, really thinking about how we've worked done so well with thyroid eye disease. So we're working in areas there and then looking at those mechanisms that are coming up there. How else can we move them into different disease states? And you know, one of the things that um, that's kind of fascinating to me is, I as I came in, I did not really know much about thyroid eye disease. I had more um, experience with scleroderma and with uh, uh, pulmonary fibrosis. If you look at the fat layer in scleroderma, it actually completely disappears. So that's part of what happens. You get this, you get this hardening of the skin, but the fat layer disappears. It's one of the first things that happen. If you look at thyroid eye disease, the fat actually expands behind the eye and you have some of the similar players there. So you have fibroblast, you have immune cells, and then you have stromal cells that are there including the fibroblast. And mechanistically, you know, we definitely were just like, what's going on here? Why why the differences, even though the players are similar, what what is driving that? So that's a that's a keen area for us to try to understand that. And we think that that can then play out in other disease states once we once we figure that out and figure out the targets that are involved there.
0: Yeah.
1: And then beyond that, you know, the bigger the other bigger area for us is really autoimmunity and how that relates to rare diseases. So we have our research where um is being led by Jody Cornell who is really, they're really focused on um, looking at effector regulator imbalance and how do you actually manipulate that. And we have collaborations with Alpine Biosciences to help us drive some of that. And then we also have other academic groups where we're working with in terms of um, trying to identify novel targets in different disease states that we think are going to play out in that area as well
0: a lot going on a lot of work yeah. going on in the research department of of Dr. Stoffel at Horizon, uh, at Horizon Therapeutics uh, to your point uh, a lot of that work makes its way into into the clinic which i i understand I, I could sense the sort of the the sense of gratification that you that you have for for that right like yeah. you're not just doing not just doing the research for the sake of the the research it's actually going somewhere so we'll yeah. be paying attention to that i mean it's exciting stuff and hopefully we'll be able to have horizon back on the show uh, a little bit down the road to talk about some of these re- research efforts coming to fruition and in, in the clinic. What's okay. next? What's next yeah. for you in the meantime, Dr. Dr. Stoffel? Like, uh, I mean, obviously you're, you're very happy in your role. You guys are doing terrific work. Uh, any, any aspirations for your time at horizon or I don't know, just what, what your next steps might look like.
1: Yeah, I think it's, for me, it's much, much more the same. I mean, I feel like we're, we're, we're a third to maybe halfway through where we, where we need, want to get to. So
0: I feel like there's still a lot more to do here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing great work and I appreciate the time that, uh, that you spent with us. And I, I, I thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. It was really great talking with you. Yeah. Pleasure was all mine. So that's horizon therapeutics, VP of research dr robert stoffel i'm matt pillar and this is the business of biotech we're produced by life science connect with support from citiva which offers a deep trove of resources for new and emerging biotechs at citiva.com backslash emerging biotech check that out check us out at bioprocessonline.com where you can subscribe to the, both the podcast and my newsletter at bioprocessonline.com backslash bob in the meantime thanks for listening